Welcome to Applied Geopolitics, the podcast from the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. I'm your host, Roger Baker. India sits at the heart of South Asia, backed by the Himalayas along the Chinese border, overlooking the Indian Ocean Basin, and bridging the old Near and Far East. Today, India also bridges the widening global geopolitical divides. It's a member of the BRICS and the SCO with Russia and China, but also a key member of the Quad with the United States, Japan, and Australia. India has long promoted a policy of non-alignment, but that is becoming increasingly difficult to maintain. New Delhi's management of its strategic autonomy has evolved with changing global patterns, and the U.S.-China competition is once again reshaping India's options and pressures. To discuss the evolution of India's regional policies, I'm joined today by K. Vinay Kumar, an assistant professor of political science at Maharashtra National Law University. Um, He is heading the Center for World Affairs at the university. And Don McLean Gill, a Philippine-based geopolitical analyst, author, and lecturer at the Department of International Studies, De La Salle University. Together, they've co-edited a recent book called The Elephant's Rise in the East, framing the history and future of India's rise and the way New Delhi has adapted its relations with its Eurasian neighbors. Vinay and Don, thank you for joining me today. Thank Thank you you so much, Mr. Baker. It's a true pleasure. So let's begin... um, and and let's begin with that complicated word rise, um, which has a lot of different meanings to a lot of different people. And also then inherent in the word rise is a concept of power. Um, and, and of course, you begin the book with with this framing. How do you see this ideas of rise and power in the context of India? Right. Uh, thank you so much again, Mr. Baker, for this uh, absolute opportunity for me and uh, Vinay. And perhaps I could start in and dive in into the, uh, you know, the conceptual and theoretical underpinnings of the book. Now, you know, the book revolves around the conceptualization of India's rise and how it serves as one of the defining features of Asian geopolitics. Unfortunately, the rise of India, despite commonly being talked about, has often been misconstrued theoretically and practically. So these are the reasons you know theoretically you know india's rise does not really fit neatly within dominant structural theories of power politics such as uh, graham allison's thucydides trap or professor john mearsheimer's offensive realism where a rising great power is always dissatisfied with the established order and where the established great power overtly doesn't endorse and support the latter's rise so the measurements of power are diverse. But interestingly, you know, this book uses one of the most uh, uh, popular conceptualizations or parameters, such as those given by uh, Professor Mearsheimer, and India falls well within his notion of what a rising power is. Um, his key attributes, such as military power, uh, latent power, or the size of an economy and the number of population or the size of the population, are all well-fitting. You know, in his operationalization, uh, he includes China 
and the resurgence of Russia as the emerging poles in a transitioning multipolar system. But while India's economy and population are much larger than Russia's, and given its formidable military force, India does not figure in his discussion. So practically, just very briefly, uh, India's rise is also often overlooked because it is conveniently uh, being compared to China. Uh, the benchmark, um, so to say, for a rising great power is often understood to be China. This is problematic. You know, the book argues that what we are experiencing in the East is a transition towards multipolarity. And we use the power transition theory to show how diverse and dynamic poles can be due to the incorporation of perception. And looking at China, uh, it is also still facing considerable limitations, whether it is on projecting military power beyond the Western Pacific or its ability to solidify its role as a major traditional security partner in other regions, or even in terms of its sustainability of its economic engagements. So in conclusion, India seeks to work within the established order, while its rise also adds value that is much different from China's and much different from what the U.S. currently offers. So there has been a willing endorsement from Washington since the beginning of the 21st century towards India's rise. There may be areas where the two may disagree on as the theory posits, but the general trajectory between the established power and the rising power uh, is positively robust. While we are aware of the external internal challenges involved that may delay uh, India's rise, the book argues that the rise is undeniable. Well, how do, how do we perceive how New Delhi sees this concept of rise? Because again, as you, as you point out, often rise is compared to things like China. So it's a power that's trying to change uh, structures rather than trying to fit within structures. Um, the concept of power and rise is often also seen as something that is more active or assertive. In other words, uh, China is reshaping global norms. The United States wants to uh, uh, be a status quo power and hold certain things into place. Um, you know, in the in the past, the the rise of Japan or the rise of Germany, these types of powers. Um, were very active uh, in their region. And while India has some, some sense of activity within its region and globally, in many ways, India often appears from the outside to be looking primarily inward or internally. So how, how does this perception of rise um, get thought of within, within New Delhi? Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Roja, for giving this opportunity. Uh, See, we need to understand the rise of uh, India as, uh, as as a state where where it is trying to use its um, military and material power to showcase its its power in the region, and at the same time, when we talk about the rise of India, we need to look at the relative power with with China, where we are trying to uh, compare. Uh, with China and uh, uh, as as being one of the major uh, player in the world today which is trying to change the status quo it is indeed uh, uh, an opportunity for India to uh, realign and uh, uh, realign with the major states to rise herself to uh, the major player in, in, in this in this in this world so uh, we need to understand that um, that India 
because of its rising economic capabilities and the military capabilities and how it is shaping the world today how its policies are aligned with the major powers of the world today is making a avenue for india to rise uh, to rise in the world today so if we think india is uh, if if we think that india is going to be a state which is uh, which is which, which is rising that means that it 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 is not trying to change the status quo but it is trying to align with the major powers to achieve the national interest of the state and it is needed to be understood that india is is trying to align with the major powers it is not going against the state against the rule based order and it is not going against the existing power structure but it is trying to make a peaceful and harmonious way for its emergence as a rising power yeah and if if i just may add very briefly you know since we're uh, trying to get into conceptualizing what makes india's rise um influential because of course one of the key attributes of being a rising great power is that you also have some sort of influence beyond uh your immediate neighborhood so yes mr baker absolutely right in the past india has been constrained within its immediate geography um and this has also limited uh, its ability to translate its foreign policy proactively and even in the next few years you know since the uh since the beginning of the 21st century india was also quite wary of translating its material growing material capabilities into proactive external policies beyond uh south asia or to that extent the indian ocean region now today uh, if we look into the current leadership under prime minister modi we can definitely say that india is slowly but surely um Re- uh, realizing this particular confidence and the need to play a bigger role within uh the existing order by complementing uh the order in itself by adding more features such as being inclusive um and also being equitable so we can see that india has been attempting to forge uh proactive frameworks such as the voice of the global south summit uh such as other key initiatives uh the act east sagar security and growth for all in the region neighborhood first uh, uh act west act far east uh and at the same time re- uh, reinvigorating its central asia policy uh these are all uh valid uh representations of the willingness of india to play a much larger role even in areas that it was once wary to co- uh, cooperate in in defense and other forms of strategic cooperation beyond the indian ocean region and as we can see the chapters in the book also point to these particular case studies of india's evolving policies in other parts of asia particularly so 
these are areas where we can definitely see the attempt uh, that India is having to sort of uh, go beyond its traditional um, South Asia Indian Ocean centric approach and where it is able to translate its growing uh, material capabilities into proactive policies beyond its immediate domain. So let's pick, let's pick one of those because, of course, you know, as we as we've mentioned, India and China are always compared to each other, and when we look at that that geographic evolution, um, we can look uh, to the east of India. Right, India has had look east. They've had a variety of eastward looking policies. The reframing of the uh, the Pacific theater into the Indo Pacific theater, uh, we've seen both a movement of Chinese activity and influence west through the Strait of Malacca and the Indians looking to move east through the Strait of Malacca. And so East Asia, Southeast Asia in particular, has been a, a real first focal point um, of this, this perceived competition between India and China, this change in India's role and India's position in the region. How has India's uh, policy and relation with Southeast Asia uh, evolved over time? And how is that changing as we look at this continued expansion of the US-China competition? Right, absolutely. And I think I'll start off very briefly and give the floor to Vinay to expound on it further. Uh, you know, the book has a specific chapter on India's evolving foreign policy in Southeast Asia. And it has two uh, dominant objectives. You know, the first is to outline how the relationship evolved based on the interrelation between structure and domestic perception. And the second is, of course, to highlight uh, how this uh, change was able to catalyze uh, the approach of India in the region and how it was mutually constitutive uh, with the uh, with the welcoming and accommodation of Southeast Asian countries towards India. So, you know, uh, interestingly, the foreign policies of Southeast Asian countries are loosely impacted indirectly or directly by similar structural constraints and opportunities throughout history, from the U.S.-Soviet Union dynamics to the U.S.-China dynamics. Uh, the book outlines how India's relationship with these within these structural elements, along with its growth in material power and its understanding towards the need to respect diversity, inclusivity, and domestic sensitivity on one hand, and the need to spearhead cooperation on security and development based uh, on the aforementioned elements on the other, have allowed it to slowly but effectively integrate its role as a strategic partner within the region. So India's emphasis on strategic autonomy, for example, and the avoidance of black politics has been largely welcomed by Southeast Asian countries, while in the past, uh, defense cooperation was a critically touchy subject between India and Southeast Asia. In fact, uh, even throughout the 1990s, countries like Indonesia were quite wary of uh, India's increasing military capabilities and how this may affect uh, the security dynamics of Southeast Asia. But today, India is significantly expanding its defense cooperation in the region as it is being accommodated as a responsible security partner. From elevating relations with ASEAN into a comprehensive strategic partnership, conducting their first ever ASEAN-Indian maritime exercise, to other significant bilateral developments, India's rise is now being seen by the region as a constructive feature rather than a destructive one. However, 
my last point. The challenge is whether India will be able to sustain the momentum. Its past inconsistencies towards the region continue to create doubts among Southeast Asian countries. If we look into the 2022 State of Southeast Asia survey, uh, a very prominent survey, there are still significant uh, uh, doubts within Southeast Asian public opinion regarding India's political willingness to consistently play a bigger role in the region. But fortunately, given the track record under Prime Minister Modi, the ties between India and Southeast Asia can be assumed, at the very least, to improve further. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Don. Uh, the evolution of the India and Asian relationship uh, did backs to this, uh, uh, to the 1947 when, when India got its independence because of the block politics which, was, which were prevailing at the point of time, there was a suspicion, uh, there was a suspicion uh, towards India. Uh, especially in the 1971, when when India has made an agreement with the USSR about the PCO, Treaty of Peace and Friendship, but if we look at the 1990s when India has liberalized its economy and when India has put forth the Lukist policy to integrate the regional economies into its ambit and to further the economic economic growth of of the reg, uh, region here. Uh, along with the Southeast Asian nations. From 1991 onwards, there was a mutual collaboration uh, between these two countries, between these uh, regions, uh, regional states and India. And uh, this was, ha this was, has, this has given substantial uh, boost to the development of close relations between India and Asian countries. And uh, to a certain extent, this has helped to uh, have a collaboration. And with the uh, with the introduction with the inter introduction of the activist policy in the 2014, it has a change to a dynamic level of cooperation between these regions. Now. However, there are some problems that are inherited in this, in this uh, relationship between India and Asian countries. There's a lot of scope for the collaboration. For example, if you take into the defense cooperation between India and Asian states, uh, there is a, a less probable uh, collaboration that has happened uh, until now, except with the, except with the Philippines. There are other states where India can, uh, can concentrate upon to expand its military relations. And uh, there is a, a need for a defense collaboration, defense technological development is also one area where the countries can collaborate with each other for furthering, the, uh, for furthering, for furthering and strengthening the relations. And there is a need for more integration of these states with India in economic terms. Now, if you take the case of the, uh, if you take the case of of of, of uh, the states in in Asian Asian uh, region, uh, Southeast Asia. Now, these states need to have, uh, you know, these states, especially the. Uh, Philippines, Thailand, they are uh, very good partners for the econo economic uh, uh, boost. Uh, 
and if we take the case of the states of malacca also because of the increased importance and the dynamics of the indo-pacific region and the indo-pacific theater we can say that these states can collaborate are, are in the process of collaboration but there is a need for further collaboration uh, between the states because this region has a lot of oil resources that are available that are needed to be exploited for example when uh, when we take the case of the resources in myanmar when india's ongc videsh try to uh, no exploit the resources along with the myanmar uh, in the southeast asian region it it, it tried the china tried to block the exploration uh, activities in the region so there is a need there is a scope for increasing the collaboration between the asean and india especially when it comes to the energy transit energy security and energy transition and also in the defense cooperation there is a lot of possibilities and areas where this asean region can have a collaboration with uh, with india and we know that uh, most of the uh, most of the trade passes to the states of malacca and south china uh, south china sea and uh, indo pacific region so there is a, a need for furthering the security in this region in collaboration with these states so, so as we look at that, obviously, as you talk about it, there's some economic, there's there's security, there's energy um, elements that tie into that. Uh, India may be somewhat limited in in what it can put uh, economically into the region, for example, compared to China, and we see that everywhere. Even the United States, the Europeans, frequently are not outcompeting uh, the willingness of China to to invest in things like infrastructure and, and development. But one of the other complications, I guess, uh, from an outside observer of India's relations um, in, say, the, the South China Sea or elsewhere, is uh, India's lingering relations with Russia. Um, the, you know, as the, as the West is shaping a world where it's really trying to discourage um, economic and security connectivity with Russia, it's starting to put in um, limited decoupling with China. India's uh, uh, desire to hold on to its ties to Russia, um, and uh, it may be in part how India looks at its relations with Central Asia, uh, is seen somewhat as a bit of a sticking point or as a, as a challenge to that. Um, you know, in, in the book, it's, it's very clear that India is not going to break its relationship with Russia, um, that if there are any uh, illusions in the West that India is suddenly going to become a piece of the West and, and walk away from, from some of these older relationships that it has, that, that that's, a, that's a false hope. So how do we, how do we conceptualize then uh, both India's uh, participation as one of these maritime democracies 
and its continued relationship with Moscow. Right, and uh, thank you, Mr. Baker. And that's an excellent question, and in fact, a question that continues to be questioned uh, up to this very day, and it continues to be problematized. So we have to be very objective and historically aware with our assessment of India-Russia relations. Today, we must note that India is situated in perhaps the most uh, geopolitically complex neighborhood, with two nuclear-armed rivals on both sides constantly attempting to nibble on its territory and create more insecurity within. So given this reality, the role of traditional security uh, inevitably remains a pivotal component in Indian foreign policy. India's ties with the Soviet Union have strengthened largely uh, due to the West's decision, of course, to side with Pakistan amid the devastations that the latter caused on uh, ethnic Bengalis. So this aggravated to the point where there was even a naval confrontation against India. So as we all know, the Soviet Union provided significant material and diplomatic support uh, during this period, and that support was able to sustain uh, up to this very day. And even after the Cold War, Russia continued to provide sensitive and advanced military technology to India when the West continued to remain reluctant. And this was even when India's relations with the West were already uh, improving significantly. I mean, in 2004, if I'm not mistaken, there was a trademark nuclear agreement between the U.S. and the uh, civil nuclear agreement between the U.S. and uh, India. But still, in terms of export, of uh, advanced and sensitive defense technology, there was still a significant reluctance from North America and Europe. And in fact, it is only just recently uh, when the Western countries are uh, beginning to provide India with such technology, we could say perhaps due to the, uh, the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine, and how, as you have rightfully said, that the West uh, uh, collectively are looking into uh, creating conditions for a decoupling between India and Russia. However, let us not generalize the relationship. India is aware of the growing level of dependence Russia has on China and how this can be a problem in the long term. Uh, moreover, India's relations with the U.S. are now at their uh, highest level. And India has also been diversifying its military procurements while also attempting to indigenize. So India has greatly accommodated U.S. interests as well, even when it sometimes goes against India's interests. Uh, it has stopped purchasing cheap oil from Iran, for example. It has also removed limits to, to its exports in the past of vital medicine to the U.S. Uh, during the pandemic, even when India was already facing a terrible wave. So India's relations with Russia uh, should not be oversimplified but understood objectively. So such as in the context of India's ties with Central Asia. Um, India's uh, presence in Central Asia is not as deep as that of Russia or China. And India is aware that Russia is also wary of China's increasing footprints at the expense of Russian interests because the relationship between Russia and China uh, is often based on narrowly defined objectives rather than that of mutual trust or you know mutual goals for the long term, as many would like to exaggerate. So India is willing to utilize, of course, its partnership with Russia to also supplement its interests in uh, Central Asia, the energy-rich uh, Central Asian countries. And of course, with situations such as what is happening in Ukraine, 
India has been consistent uh, how its utmost priority should be uh, uh, the expression of its steadfast support in emphasizing the need to incorporate democratic, diplomatic, and people-centric principles in dealing with such issues rather than adding more fuel to the fire uh, at the expense of more human lives. So this is something that India has been consistent with uh, and thus we should not define India's strong relations with the West with its relations with Russia as India under uh, through Dr. Jay Shankar has pointed out there are several occasions when India's hardships with China for example uh, have been overlooked uh, by countries in Europe for example but still India remains consistent uh, in promoting these democratic solutions and Prime Minister has rightfully said that this is not an era of war and I think that has been quite clear uh, with its position in the conflict yeah uh, I do accept and, and concur with, uh, uh, with the words of uh, Don that uh, India has a lot of role to play in Central Asia especially the energy uh, security is concerned oh, but when we look at the Central Asia uh, and uh, as uh, the question uh, uh, is uh, that how the Russia is playing and uh, uh, in, in with India that you know uh, India has a very good relations with Russia before up to 1990s but once the economic liberalization has started uh, India today has a substantial uh, uh, defense and military equipment that was that has been imported uh, from the West also. Now, as we need to understand that because of the geographical conditions that India is located with, that is China is having a very cordial relation with Pakistan and to have a balance, to maintain a balance, you know, we need to approach the Russia for the procurement of the weapons, especially the military and a very advanced missile technology that is, uh, that is provided to India. In fact, Russia and India have a joint collaboration in the defense production also. It was the past, but today with the strategy that was adopted by the India uh, of diversifying its uh, military procurement okay now when when india is trying to diversify to procure its military equipment now united states is also uh, you know one of the major player the france is also one of the major player israel is there so you know now india is not restricting herself to any country and this is what the government has has put forward that india uh, with earlier was going towards the non alignment it was al non aligning with any power but today india is trying to align with multiple partners that is multiple players in the world to make sure that the participation is active and to make sure that its national interests are met. As far as the uh, Central Asian Republics are concerned, because of the geographical non-contiguity between the states, however, 
because of the presence of the pakistan and china as a neighbors we uh, india could not you know uh, concretize any substantial policies or substantial uh, uh, relations between the india and central asia but anyhow with the changed circumstances and with the changed geopolitical dynamics in the region uh, india is trying to strengthen its its relation with central asian republics especially the energy security is concerned as for example if we if we take the case of tabi pipeline okay turkmenistan uh, afghanistan pakistan india but it was about to concretize it was about to have a strengthening of the relationship between india and central asian region at least india would have got an opportunity to you know cooperate in in, in the energy security perspective but unfortunately because of the undue demands that were made by uh, the pakistan this 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 project could not be concretized so there are uh, barriers which are are uh, still prevailing for furthering the cooperation between india and the central asian republics but anyhow uh, india is 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 putting its all its efforts to strengthen the economic energy uh, collaborations uh, with central asian republics well i think i think one of the the real significant things that comes out and and we don't have time to go through all of the different regions but that comes out here is the the idea that um it's really important to look at india from an indian perspective and not from a us china perspective or a a european perspective that is india looks at the region around it you know the 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 united states may be seeing this giant battle between democracy and and autocracy but india is seeing you know a a a potential uh encirclement by china by land and by sea and therefore russia uh, becomes a, a very valuable counterpart um for india um almost in the same way that the united states utilized china during the cold war as a counterpart uh against russia and so this 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 strategic vision from the indian perspective I think it's sometimes forgotten from the outside just how significant the continental component of that is for India and India is one of these amphibious nations it has both a continental interest and a maritime interest where the west the the leading western powers right now are primarily seeing things only through that that maritime lens and we have a we have a very short time left but I want to bring up something that 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 you raised Vinay because you 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 talked about that shift from non-alignment to basically a concept of multi-alignment and and if we could just get a, a a quick thought from from either or both of you what what is the difference is that just splitting hairs non-alignment versus multi-alignment or is that really a significant change in the way in which we should expect to see india engaging in the region and in the world india still is a developing country it needs the material uh, material it needs to develop the material capability as well as the military capabilities to emerge herself as one of the rising power in the world for ach- achieving the capabilities either material or military it need to have a proactive approach with all the partners uh, not only within the region but also around the world uh, 
as we see that from 1940 47 to 1990s or 2000 2000 we can say we were uh, in the policy of non aligning with any of the major you know we are against the block politics or the major players of the world now uh, because at that point of time we have only two power power players that were controlling the world but today as we rightly pointed out as don has rightly pointed out because of the emergence of the multipolarity in the world we cannot have that kind of 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 passive non participatory um, kind of a uh, foreign policy come uh, uh, pol policy towards the play uh, towards the multi uh, polar world there is a need to revise and revisit the foreign policy that is uh, that that has been followed throughout the phase of not throughout the phase of cold war now today india has to uh, make sure uh, that it's 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 it develops economically it develops militarily it is uh, it, it develops uh, uh, on par with the major powers of the world to make sure that it need to have uh, to take a proactive role where it has to participate actively and to shape the policies of of the major states also so this makes the country uh, this makes the india to uh, go ahead uh, with the multi alignment rather than preferring the non alignment of the cold war era Right, and ve just very briefly, if I may, uh, the main the main premise of the shift between non-alignment and multi-alignment lies in power and perception. Uh, during the non-aligned era, uh, as I'd like to say, uh, India was wary of engaging with the major powers during that period, and in fact, it sought to pave its own way um, in a sense that does not engulf, but in, in not being engulfed by major power politics. However, uh, as we can see today, the multi-alignment strategy represents India's willingness to not only engage with the major powers, but also acknowledge itself as one of an emerging uh, potential pole, uh, particularly in Asian geopolitics. And the role of strategic autonomy here is that multi-alignment of India is powered by strategic autonomy. It will engage with anyone it seems fit uh, that would be able to sustain and of course complement its interests uh, by not also compromising its sovereignty uh, in this particular process. So this is that uh, complicated mix. It's not always a smooth sail. There are challenges that are being faced in effectively mitigating that level of strategic autonomy. But the end goal is obviously to achieve this sort of balance in its foreign policy. Well, it's interesting. Something for us to think about and explore later is this this idea, you know, as we think about the the, the role or the options for middle powers during the Cold War, it was either basically bandwagoning or try to create this non-aligned movement, this non-alignment concept, which was never fully non-aligned. Whereas now as we're looking at a multipolar system, um, rather than non-alignment, maybe it is that the middle powers are pursuing this much more activist and national self-interest driven multi-alignment strategy. And, and you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting concept to come back and look at it and say, is that a similar thing to what we're seeing in places like Turkey or 
uh, Japan or potentially South Korea or some of these other countries. So definitely a lot more to, to explore on this issue, but I think we've, we've kind of run up against our clock. So I really wanna thank um, both of you, Vinay and Don, for, for joining me today. Thank you so much, sir. You know, it's always a true pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Roger. It's, it's, it's a great pleasure to uh, have a conversation on this aspect. Thank you. And thank, thank you both. And, and thank you all for listening. We have been talking with Kay A. Kumar and Don McLean-Gill, co-editors of the recent book, The Elephants Rise in the East, which focuses on uh, India's rise and uh, India's relations and evolving relations with many of the different uh, regions around India. If you'd like to keep up with the latest discussions and assessments of shifting global geopolitical balances, visit RainNetwork.com and sign up for alerts and information from the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. That's R-A-N-E Network.com. I'm Roger Baker. Thanks for listening.